Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that Connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our Give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the Word as we look at it together. Hi, my name is Madison, and I'm out here asking students what they believe. What do you believe about the Trinity? Can you explain what the Trinity is to me? Uh, everybody has their own opinion. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, I think it is three beings, but they're all one. Like, it's really confusing, but they're three and one at the same time. That Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, they're all in one. And even if we might not understand it now, we'll understand it when we get to heaven. Well, good morning, church family. Some pretty good answers up there, right? Well, if you don't know me, my name is Scott, and I am the campus pastor here for Big Valley Christian School. And I don't want to make you jealous but I do work at the best school on the planet. So, well, a number of years ago, I was teaching a class, and one day after my class, a student stopped me and he said, hey, uh, Mr. Elliott, me and my dad, we just started going to a new church. And I said, oh, really, that, you know, that's cool. Uh, tell me about you know, why you guys started going to this new church. And he said, well, at our other church, we got this new pastor, and our new pastor started talking about some things and teaching some things that didn't seem right. I said, oh, really, what, what was he teaching? He said, well, he's like teaching about the Trinity and stuff. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, he was teaching that God was like three in one. And I said, well, do you know that that's what we believe? That's what we teach here is that God is three in one. And so then he, he begins to try and explain to me what, what he believed. And then I showed him some scriptures and that kind of stumped him. So he went home and then you know, a few days later, he comes back and he goes, well, here's what my dad says. And he tells me what his dad says. And then I say, well, here's some scriptures. And we look at that. And then a few days later, he comes back and goes, well, here's what my pastor says. And, and he tells me what the pastor says. And then I show him some more scriptures. And then pretty soon it was, well, here's what our bishop said. Our bishop came over to our house so that he could tell us. And we kept going back and forth. And it was pretty clear that they were in a, a church denomination where they did not believe what we believe. They did not believe in the Trinity. And that's, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I spend most of my time, of course, talking to kids. And so it's not very often I get to preach to adults. But when I do, they give me a very easy topic. So, <laughs> But as we talk about the Trinity today... Uh, I want to just remind us of our heart for this series. What Pastor Joel has really described for us is that his, his heart is that we would believe in Jesus, but that we would also believe some things about Jesus that are really important, really fundamental. It really matters what we believe. And that's something our church takes very seriously. When I went through the ordination process, 
it's a process where the elders are asking you to, to articulate what you believe. And for me, that was like an 80 or 90 page document that I put together. And the Trinity is just one aspect of that, one aspect of who God is. But what we believe matters because what we believe impacts how we live our life. It impacts all of the decisions that we make. It's as simple as this. You would not sit in a chair if you did not believe that that chair could support your weight, right? Your belief informs what you do, how you live. And then the second goal of this series is that we would believe together as a local body of believers, that we would have unity around the things that we believe to be true. And I wanna encourage you, if you've not picked up a Believe journal, we've got some still available in the nook, and you can stop by after the service, and this is a great resource, because on the weekends, we're teaching through these big topics, but then this journal has daily devotionals that go along with it, and then there's resources in there so that you can further study some of these things, especially some of the things that are really uh, challenging or there's just so much to cover. Uh, This is a great resource, and so I wanna encourage you to pick that up. So our statement of faith says this, we believe and accept the following statements as essential for the unity and practice of the members of this church. These, these things are essential and they're important for our unity. Last week, Pastor Joel opened the first one to us, which is the authority of scripture, that we believe that all 66 books of the New and Old Testament are the inspired, authoritative word of God. And that's important because everything else we're gonna teach on It's gonna come from this. And so we have to understand what this is, that this is the living and active word of God, that this is true and reliable and trustworthy so that everything else we teach on is gonna come from this. So that first piece in our statement of faith is really fundamental for the rest. But today, we're gonna look at that second item on our statement of faith, which says this. It's about the triunity of God. It says, we believe that God is one, manifesting himself in three distinct and separate persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of whom is God and to be honored and worshiped as God. This is a doctrine which I call simply complicated. It's simple on the one hand, I could say it in a few words, but it is endlessly complicated. What we talk about today is one of the deepest mysteries and the hardest concepts in all of Christianity to really wrap our minds around. And yet, simultaneously, through faith, it's a relatively simple concept. It's simple to say, but hard to comprehend. At one point this week, while I was studying and working on this message, my computer uh, crashed a couple of times in a row. And I thought, well, my computer can't even figure it out, so. (laughs) I read a great quote from Kirk Cameron. He said, try to comprehend the Trinity, that God is three in one, and you'll find that reason, logic, and faith are stretched to their limits. However, God's word is faithful and true and can be trusted completely. Now, some might be saying though, wait, I've looked at my Bible, I don't see the word Trinity in there. I can't find it anywhere. I've looked in the glossary or the index, I don't see the word Trinity in there. But I wanna remind us, we won't find the words Easter or Christmas in there either, right? These are words in the English language which we use and assign to kinda categorize something. When we talk about Christmas, we understand we're talking about the events around Jesus' birth. The word is a word that came later to help us describe what we see clearly in the scriptures. And that's the same with the Trinity. The word Trinity came around the year 180 AD 
uh, but it's a word that describes what was already present, what was already clear in Scripture. And so as we get into this topic today, let me open us in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to reveal to us something of who you are. And Lord, our finite minds, we, we wrestle and we struggle to, to understand more of who you are, Lord, but we ask that you would, through your spirit, God, enable us to get a, a clearer grasp on what you are like. And Father, we thank you for the blessing that it is to have your word to lead and guide us. So Father, we pray your blessing this morning on our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, usually this is when I would say my favorite phrase, which is take your Bibles and open to, and I would give you a book and a passage, and we would stay in that passage. Uh, but by nature of this topic, instead I'm going to say take your thumb and kind of stretch it out a little bit, get a little uh, finger exercise, because we're going to be flipping all through your Bible. Grab a, a pen or something to write with. I hope you take some notes and write down some of these passages, uh, because there's a lot. This is a, it's not going to be comprehensive, but we're going to try and cover a lot of ground as we look at this aspect of who God is. So where do we start? Well, there are several passages in which we see all three persons of the Trinity at work. And one of the most familiar ones is where we're going to begin, which is Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this passage, when he says to baptize in the name, the word name in the Greek is a singular word. It's the singular name. Even though it lists Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's in the name. Not the names, not the plural, but the singular name. Because God is one. It, we see his, his oneness here, that there is one God, and we're baptizing in his one name, his one authority that is distributed between the three persons of God. We also see in Scripture that our salvation is accomplished by all three persons. Take a look at 1 Peter 1-2. It says that our salvation was accomplished according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. We see that God the Father had a plan for our salvation from the beginning. We see that the Holy Spirit was at work in us, renewing us and changing us and making us new, and that it was accomplished through the blood of Jesus Christ. All three persons are active in the process of our salvation. Another passage is Titus 3, four through six. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You can see, you can break it down and see each person of the Trinity at work in our salvation. And that's true that in every part of our life of faith, God is at work and each person of the Trinity has a specific and different role. And I'd encourage you, uh, Pastor Lonnie Skiles this morning is preaching on the Trinity in series, and in his outline, he kind of goes through some of the specific roles of each person. And so maybe later this week, you can go back and, and watch that message as well. But we're called to have, also in Scripture, unity with one another in the same way that there is unity within God. Scripture says there is one body and one spirit, 
just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So when we talk about the Trinity, we're talking about the way in which God exists in perfect unity. He has perfect unity within himself, and he calls us as the body of Christ to have unity within the body. And that's one of the goals of the series, is that we would be united around the things that we believe. So this morning, we're gonna look at four uniting truths that we believe regarding the triunity of God. The first one is this, that God is one. And again, these truths that we're gonna look at, this is right out of our statement of faith, the first part of which says that God is one. Now, as we walk through understanding these truths, I'm gonna contrast them with some misconceptions. I'm gonna contrast them with what are called some heresies. You've probably all heard of someone being a heretic, right? Someone who's teaching something which is false, that's not true, that doesn't line up with scripture. And these are some, what we might call historic heresies. They, in the very early church, people were trying to figure out how to describe God and, and how to wrestle with the things which the apostle Paul and the apostle John wrote about who Jesus is. And in their discussions, they came up with all kinds of things, some of which were good and some with which were bad. And so we're gonna kind of contrast the truth of scripture with some of the things that they landed on. Because as we look at what God is not, that's gonna help us see more clearly who God is. And I wanna just make this side comment. In our world today, there's a lot of us that kind of think that as time passes, that we as humans get smarter and smarter. I wanna tell you, some of the, the people you read about in the early church were some of the smartest people on the planet. And they wrestled with this topic. And, and I have a lot of compassion on those that really tried to piece this together. And some of them ended up in, in wrong ideas, but we're gonna take a look at some of what they came up with and, and really learn from that. So here's the first heresy. The first heresy is one called tritheism. And tritheism is the idea that God is many, that he is three separate gods. That's what this heresy is. This misconception is what a lot of people uh, have when they think about Christianity. If you think about the majority world, so many world religions consist of many, many different gods. And they look at Christianity, and through their misunderstanding, they think we worship three different gods, that the Father, Son, and Spirit are each their own God. Uh, but that's simply not true. I have a, uh, a neighbor I was talking to one time, and he, he was convinced that I worship three different gods. And I was trying to tell him, no, no, we worship one God. They are, they are one. Uh, but he couldn't wrap his mind around that. And, and I understand why. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. But what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that there is only one God. When you take a look at Isaiah 44, verse six, it says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. He's the only one. There is no other God. There never has been any other God and there never will be. There is only one. That stands in stark contrast to what the rest of the world teaches. And then again in Deuteronomy chapter six, this famous passage says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. From the beginning, 
of the, people, of the nation of Israel, they stood in stark contrast to the nations around them. The nations around them worshiped many different gods, and here was a nation who came together and worshiped one God, because that one God who was real revealed himself to them and made himself known and made, him, made it known to them that he is the one and only God. Now, is this idea of the Trinity, is this a new idea? Is this an idea that only came about in the New Testament? Well, actually, we can see the foundation of the Trinity in the Old Testament. One example, a familiar passage at Christmas time, is out of Isaiah. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And the Counselor, that's a, that's a title for the Holy Spirit. Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. There you see God the Father, and Prince of Peace. That's Jesus. Jesus came that we might have peace. He is the prince of peace. So there in the Old Testament, you see that foundation for the Trinity. Now, does that mean that the, the Jewish people had an understanding of this? No. They didn't understand it until much later as God revealed more of who he is to them. But you can see the foundation being laid. And you can look through the Old Testament and see lots of references and concepts that are laying the foundation for who God is. So God is not three different gods. He is one. Heresy number two is the idea that God is three parts of one. We call this partialism. The idea that God is three parts, that Jesus is part of God, the Spirit is part of God, and the Father is part of God, and with their powers combined, they become God. That's not how it works. God is not three different parts. But often, people are trying to teach the Trinity and come up with helpful examples, and a very common example is the example of the egg. Do you know this one? The example of the egg is that you have the shell, you have the white, and you have the yolk. But the shell is egg, the white is egg, and the yolk is egg. Now, if I ordered eggs at a restaurant and they just crust, crust up some shell and put it on my plate, I think I'd be a little disappointed. But this, this idea falls short because the shell, the white, and the yolk, those are each parts of the egg. So this, this idea doesn't work. God is not three parts. Each person of God is completely God, fully God, not just a part of God. How do we know this? Colossians 1.19 talks about Jesus, and it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God, not a part of God, not an ounce of God, the fullness of God. Jesus was completely and is completely God. And when Jesus was about to go to the cross and he prayed for unity amongst us, listen to how he prayed. In John 17, Jesus said that they may, be, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, there's this concept called the mutual indwelling of God that each person of the Trinity is in the other. Because God is completely God. Jesus is completely God. It's not, he's not part of God. So truth number two is what that leads us to. So we believe that he is manifesting himself in three distinct and separate persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now what do we mean by three persons? 
What we are saying here is that the Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct. They are different from one another. They're separate from one another. Just as an example, Jesus is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not Jesus. The Spirit does not have a physical body. Jesus has a physical, human, resurrected body. So he's distinct and different from the Spirit. So you can go through and look at all the ways in which each person is is different from each other, and yet they are all one. Now, some people in their desire to emphasize that God is one have made some incorrect conclusions. So what's the next heresy? Well, the next heresy is called modalism. And it's the idea that God changes form or he changes mode. This is really what that student I was telling you about believed. And this is what their denomination, if you've ever heard of oneness Pentecostal, that's the denomination that teaches modalism. And it's the idea that God changes from one to the other. So here's the common example. Because sometimes, we, again, we use examples that fall short. So the example is water. Water is H2O, right? You all remember your chemistry? H2O. Water can be water, it can be ice, and it can be steam. So sometimes people use this to talk about the Trinity and show there's these three different things, but they're all water, they're all H2O. Where does this fall short? It falls short in this, that ice has to melt to become water. Water has to evaporate to become steam. And so there's a change that takes place between each three, each one of the three. So this is the idea of modalism, that the Father became the Son and that the Son became the Spirit. But that's not true. How do we know this? Because as we look in Scripture, we see all three persons of the Trinity interacting at the same time. Let's take a look at a couple of examples. The first one is at Jesus' baptism. It says, when he came up out of the water, that's Jesus, immediately he saw heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. So we see the son, Jesus, in the water. He sees the spirit of God descending and we hear the voice of the father, all simultaneous. So he's not transforming from one into the other. All three are coexisting at the same time. What about in creation? Let's go all the way back to the first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God, so there's God the Father. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. Now, where do we see Jesus? The next part says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, let's think about this. First John, or John 1, 3 says, all things were made through him, through, through Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. When God spoke and things came into existence, it is through Jesus. Jesus is the word. He is the one who is creating everything. And so we see in creation, all three persons of the Trinity active in creating the world. So we see all these different examples of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing side by side, distinct from one another. So modalism, that doesn't work. Truth number three. Truth number three is is that each of whom, each person is God. 
So let's take a look at a couple of heresies connected to this. The first one is called docetism. And again, with all these heresies, the words don't matter. Like, if you're like, man, this is a lot of big words. Don't worry about it. It's not the words that matter. It's the concept. Docetism was this idea that Jesus only appeared to be human. So this is going to one extreme that for Jesus to be God, there's no way he could be human. But what do we see in scripture? We see that Jesus took on flesh, that he became a human. And he had to do this in order that he could be a substitute for us on the cross. Listen to what Galatians chapter four says. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, so you can see his humanity there, born under the law, just as all humans are under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Only God could come to earth and live a perfect, sinless life. That's only possible for God. But only a human could take our place. Sin is a human problem. And just like scripture teaches, the idea of like an eye for an eye, a life for a life, a human life for a human life. Jesus had to become human and take on flesh so that he could die in our place for our sin on the cross. So he had to be completely human for that to be possible. So he is both completely God and completely human. Heresy number five. There's two here. One is called Arianism and the other is Macedonianism. And that's a good Scrabble word right there, just so you know. (laughs) This heresy teaches that Jesus and the Spirit were created by God. Well, there's a big problem with that. Anything that is created is less than the Creator. And what we see in Scripture is that Jesus and the Spirit are not less than God, but are co-equal with God and co-eternal, that they have always existed. They're not creations of God. How do we know this? Well, let's look at John 17, verse 5. Jesus is praying, and he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. We see that Jesus is eternal. We see that he was with God before creation. John 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God. So there you see the distinction, and the Word was God. So you see simultaneously these two truths coexisting. What about the spirit? Was he created? Is he God? Well, Hebrews 9, 14 says, how much more will the blood of Christ, through whom the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead to serve the living God? He's called there the eternal spirit. He has also always existed. And is the spirit identified as God? Jesus is identified as God, right? He said, I and the Father are one. What about the spirit? Well, in the book of Acts, we have this this story about Ananias and Sapphira, and they tell a little lie, ends up getting them killed. Remember this story? And when this happens, Peter confronts them, and he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then a little later in verse four, he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. So Peter identifies the Holy Spirit with God. So we see all three persons are God. And all three persons are co-eternal and have existed alongside each other from the beginning. 
I want to show you a helpful image. Maybe you've seen some variation of this before. It's this, this triangle up here. That, and it shows, if you kind of go top of the triangle, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. Right? There's the distinctions between the three. It was Jesus, the Son, who was on the cross. Right? The Father was not on the cross. There's distinctions. And yet, each of whom is God. All three are God. All three are the only one true God. All three are co-equal and co-eternal. There are three divine persons. It's, again, it comes back to, we're saying the same thing. It's simple to say, but complicated to wrap our minds around. And yet, in faith, we hold it all together to be true. Which leads to truth number four. It says, and to be honored and worshiped as God. That all three are to be honored and worshiped as God. Now, a couple more heresies. One is called Ebionitism. And this is the idea that Jesus was merely human. So we had one heresy that said, well, he, he can only be God. There's no way he could be human. And the other side says, well, he can only be human. There's no way he could be God. Jesus, we've already seen, identified himself as God. And through his actions and through the things that he said and did, he shows that he is God. There's no other way around it. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. But we also see that Jesus receives worship, that he receives the worship that we understand to be due to God alone. The apostle John had this incredible vision of, of what would come in the future in the book of Revelation. And here's what he describes. He says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. What do we see here? We see Jesus, the lamb of God, receiving worship. And that's why we sing. That's why we gather each week because of what Jesus has done because he was God's perfect lamb sacrificed for us and we worship him because he is God. Each person of the Trinity is worthy of our worship. The last heresy is called adoptionism. And this is the idea that Jesus became God. Again, people were trying to wrestle with what they saw in scripture and not understanding completely and and this idea was that Jesus was born a human and that God adopted him and he became a God. Sounds a little bit more like something out of Greek mythology. But we don't see that in scripture. We see that Jesus was fully God before taking on flesh and coming to earth as a man. Philippians 2.7 says that he, Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of men. Jesus emptied himself. He left the glory of heaven and came to earth as a man. In Jesus, we have this doctrine. It's called the hypostatic union. It's just a fancy way for saying that Jesus had within himself two complete natures, that he was completely God and completely man at the same time. And there's no way to explain that other than to say that both are true. And that's what we see in scripture. 
Each person is completely God. So I wanna end with us saying together, reading together out loud this section of our statement of faith. And hopefully we have a little bit more context and understanding of what we're saying. So let's say this together. We believe that God is one, manifesting himself in three distinct and separate persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of whom is God, and to be honored and worshiped as God. You know, what, what we know about God is limited to the things that God has revealed to us. Our finite minds are so small compared to the mind of God, how would it even be possible for us to fully wrap our minds around who he is? And yet God in his grace has given us his spirit to lead us and guide us, and God has revealed through the scriptures what we can know about him. But this is still a challenging topic. And so I wanna encourage you not only to get one of the Believe journals, but to go online. We've got so many online resources. There's videos. If, uh, if you don't have the physical journal, you can read the posts on our website as well. Uh, but this is a great chance for us to dive in deeper because the concept of the Trinity is a hard one to wrap our minds around. Some concepts sound paradoxical, and yet they're simply true nonetheless. All we could do is believe, and that means taking God at his word trusting what he has shared with us. God is so big, so awesome, so immeasurable. It's by grace alone that we're even able to have a relationship with him. So what do we do with all this? Maybe we have a fuller understanding this morning. What do we do with that? Well, first, may we never become tired of growing in the knowledge of God and learning more about who he is. And may we always look forward to what we get to experience of God. And may all of us experience with each other the same kind of love and unity that exists in the heart of the Trinity. God has perfect love. God is love. But he has perfect love within himself. And the most loving thing that he could do, a being who is all love, is to create other people to love him. That's why we're here. That's why we exist, to love one another and to love God. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, when we pause to reflect on who you are, Lord, we're just, we're out of our league. You're so far beyond anything we can understand or comprehend. And yet, Lord, you have made yourself known to us and you invite us to have a personal relationship with you. Would we grow in our relationship and our understanding of who you are? Help us to, to love you more as we know you more. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.